Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to have you with us another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflection into the great thinkers, the great saints of, of church history. We really are phasing out of that time we more traditionally call the church fathers. Okay, we are now in the 7th century, the late 7th century, and we are taking up uh, this evening the Venerable Saint Bede, a very unique man. Uh, I could not encourage enough for all of you listeners out there to uh, really get your hands on uh, Saint Bede the Venerable because his contributions, uh, the uniqueness of his contributions are so rich. Uh, I don't know if I've really spoken to this enough but we really do need to spend extra time with the saints and and the church fathers that we've been talking about, because they really do have so much insight that can help us be uh, the best version of who God is calling us to be. So I I really wanted to encourage that, and, and most especially with the saint we are going to talk about this evening. So unique such a wonderful and, and marvelous man. And uh, it is Tuesday evening, so I will be doing this with John O'Hare. Great to have you back with me, John. Good to be back, Joe. Thank you. So, Saint Bede uh, the Venerable. You know, John, it's not very often that a saint has a title other than the great, right? Yeah. But here we have a saint who is who is known as the Venerable. Not to be confused with Bede, the servant of God. No, that he is a saint, but he is known as Venerable because in his life, he was already being called <laughs> the Venerable Bede. Now we yeah. call him Saint Bede uh, the Venerable. So, John, what could we say about this man? I know there's so much we could say, and, and to try to distill it in 27 minutes is almost an impossible task, but yeah. what we do want to do is just touch upon the key points, and from there just reflect with what he has uh, to share with us. Well, he died in 735, but let's jump way ahead to 1899, when mm. Leo Thirteenth made him a doctor of the church. The mm. only Englishman to be a doctor of the church. Mm. Amen. Well, and if you're an Englishman, something to be proud of, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Well, he lived to be 62 years old. He was born around seven, around 673, died 735. And he seemed to have been born in northern England, just south of the Scottish border. Uh, Northumbria is what I looked up on the map, and it's the first county below the what we call the Scottish border. Mm. And his parents brought him to an abbey rather early, and he became a, a Benedict Biscop, was his first teacher, around age seven, age eight. And then a man named Silfrith, the abbey in Jarrow, uh, became his teacher. Now, Jarrow is the abbey that he spent his entire life in. He did not wander around. He kind of stayed put in that monastery, and, and that was his life. Mm. Just to go off a little bit, he reminds me a little bit of Samuel, whose mother brought him in to mm. uh, uh, to be to learn how to be a prophet. Anyway, yeah. this was kind of a way that young, bright boys advanced in society. Is sure. You were taken up by some, possibly a non-relative, who assessed your talent, and then you were kind of brought along. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was, he was a deacon at age 19, ordained a priest at the age of 30, and he spent his entire time in this uh, monastery, and he did scripture study, 
He read, he did biblical commentaries. He wrote the lives of the saints. He did chronologies. He did a lot of writing, and he became the great mind of that time, mm-hmm. and it was known. He also did an extract on uh, Isidore of Seville, whom he did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, because Isidore was quite a, a celebrity. That Isidore was before Bede, but they were fairly close. Yeah. He also taught Latin scripture, and uh, his major piece of work was came out around 731 called The Ecclesiastical History of the English People, and it is from this we have a lot of history of the church in England. Just to go back a little bit, Gregor Great sent St. Augustine of Canterbury to England. He did a lot of conversion work there, and by the time we get to Bede, England was quite Catholic, mm-hmm. and Bede writes this history. And he writes a rather interesting history about uh, there was a king, I think his name was Edwin, and some kind of a wandering monk named Paulinus got involved in his group of nobles, and uh, they were kind of worshiping these local wood gods or whatever, and he converted them, and one of the chief wood god priests heard this, and he says, you know, this sounds pretty good. And it reminds me of like a sparrow comes into our hall and flies around. Mm. And then it goes and flies out, out into the night. And what happens to it then? Yeah. It looks like we have a way to actually live in safety and security with life everlasting. Mm. We may want to take this up. Mm. Now, that was a beginning in the Catholicism of England. And as we mentioned before, England became a very Catholic country and was very loyal to the Pope all the way up to about 1535. We know what happened there. You know, it's it's interesting, John. I had studied St. Bede the Venerable uh, in, in college, but it wasn't until I had the awesome privilege to to study in Oxford that I really came to understand the importance of Bede um, being there for three uh, summers. Wow. When you walk through England, you get a, a deep sense of who this man is. In fact, you know, England is today's, you know, Anglican seedbed, if you will. They have a great deal of respect for this man because of his deep sense of, of the sciences and arts, and especially uh, what he did historically for their people. There's a great reverence for the man we are talking about this, even among those um, who do not see eye to eye with the Catholic faith. And uh, that struck me. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a number, a number of churches in England, uh, of course, devoted to St. Bede, and uh, to walk in those churches and to see the devotion to this man in England, it rivals very few. You know, maybe Cardinal Newman, (laughs) but outside of that, I have to say, I I was overwhelmed by it, and I had no idea until I went there. And this is England, especially Oxford, such a rich concentration of, of history. To see this man so important, so relevant, was uh, very edifying for me. I just was driving home from Mass and heard on EWTN that a monk was so, after Bede died, was so enamored of Bede that he went to his body and reburied it at another monastery a little farther away, and that was not considered to be important enough, and he was taken to, I believe, Durham. I'm not sure where Durham is in England, Mm -hmm. but anyway, there's a cathedral there, Mm -hmm. and I think that's where his body rests today. Yes, yes, yeah. So I guess on a more personal level, I was deeply touched by that. So Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a, an excellent scholar. I mean, one of the top scholars of oh, the church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he may be a little late to be called a father, but these people that came early, we owe them a lot, just like we owe Madison and Jefferson and that crowd a lot. Yeah. And we owe him a lot. Anyway, his history of England came down to us, and we have all of these dates and facts. And um, 
also a big deal when I get into this called Chronica Maiora, mm-hmm, in which mm-hmm. he he was also uh, well into mathematics, and he came up with the phrase "ad incarnatione domini." A.D. Mm-hmm. and he reestablished our calendar. This is Venerable Bede, mm-hmm. and so we have B.C. and we have A.D. and he established the birth of Christ as the beginning of our calendar. Prior to that, it was Rome. The foundation of Rome was year zero, and we counted after that. Now I don't know when Rome was founded. Right? If I did, I forgot. Nowadays, it's when Christ was born, and we go from there. Mm-hmm. And some of our atheist uh, professorial <laughs> is trying yeah. to change it to. Uh, well, <laughs> C.E. is common era, or you could say Christian era, they say yeah. P.C., but yeah. anyway, it's the same counting time. That, At least the, the, the numbers haven't changed. Amen to that, John. I'll never forget when my history professor walked into my classroom, I think it was in 1993 or 94, my history professor, and he walked in the classroom, he said, well, class, uh, I have an announcement to make. We're kind of all looking around at each other, and <laughs> he says... We are no longer going to be using B.C. and A.D. It is now B.C.E. and C.E. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what is that? Well, B.C., of course, is before Common Era, and C.E. is Common Era, or as you just put it nicely, (laughs) Christian Era. The thing that struck me then and continues to strike me today, John, is this. There is still a person in human history that defines what is B.C.E. and C.E., Right? As you just put it. I mean, it's silly to think that while we change some of the language, it is going to actually change history, as if it is going to actually take away uh, the incarnation of Christ. It really just is silly. I mean, every time we put on the corner of a page uh, the date, uh, you know, January 26, 2014, what are we claiming? This day... The year of our Lord, right? January 26, 2014. 2014 years after what? Yes. Right? It is a person, not a thing, that intersects history and ultimately defines BCE and CE. (laughs) It's a perversion of language to Mm -hmm. take the real meaning of 2015 and try to put another letter. I mean, it really doesn't change the number, but it, it, language should be direct, specific, say what you mean, mm-hmm. and this just obfuscates the truth. And I hope this doesn't continue. Yeah, it really does, John. And it's it's important to draw this out because it was important to Saint B, the Venerable, right? right? Yes. I mean, he was, uh, yes, a scientist. You just mentioned he's a mathematician. He was an astronomer. Uh, you know, you talk about time, and he developed and refined Uh, our dating of Easter, and our understanding of the liturgical calendar. Again, another great contribution. But also, he was a specialist in grammar, especially Latin, right? So uh, very important, because ultimately, um, if we do not have the truest sense of what the word means in its origin, then we're not going to get behind the purpose and intentionality of the words we use. We cannot really create a dialogue, and this was so important for Bede to get at the heart of what words mean, so as to better understand how we are called to uh, engage truth and understand truth. It's to remember that logic is the instrument to reason, and you better come to understand truth through that instrument of reason through the use of a dialogue, right? Dialogic, where two enter into conversation. Well, how can you have a very real dialogue (laughs) <laughs> when you're not actually using words properly, right? So uh, understanding the root of a word, understanding the words that you use, all very important for Bede. 
um, especially when it comes to engaging that, that conversation that wishes to aspire towards understanding truth. He was a Latin scholar, and towards the end of his life, he translated St. John's Gospel into Old English. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chaucer wrote in Middle English. This is Old English a little before that time. And he wanted to get it correct, and he knew the Latin, and he knew the grammar, and uh, this was important to his understanding the church, because mm-hmm. here's your language. Now, there's another little scrap, has nothing to do with Bede, but about this time, a monk wrote a letter, which we still have, to a, we'll call it a seminarian, and he was saying, I'm really pleased to hear that Father So-and-so says your Latin grammar is really improving, because mm. knowledge of Latin is important to your understanding and transmission of truth, the yeah. Word of God. Yeah. Latin has the flexing power to translate other languages as well. This is why it's also so important. Yeah, you talked about sacred scripture, John. 30 commentaries he wrote to sacred scripture. Um, and I would be remiss if we did not talk about John, um, his contributions to biblical theology, and more specifically, allegory and typology, because when you go into history and you look at those great saints who developed um, typology, again, typology, how to read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old, how Christ is the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. Um, when you go into history and you say, okay, who are the key figures? And um, we've talked about three or four, but if, if you don't start with Augustine, you start with Origen. And after Origen, really a lot of people go to beat. Okay, so this mm. is how important he is. And one of the things that he did was he didn't just look at how people prefigured Christ. He also went into the how things and institutions prefigure other New Testament figures and even the church. Okay, so an example that Benedict XVI takes up is how when in the desert Moses pitches his tent of the covenant and uh, uh, Jerusalem builds their, their two temples, how these are images of the New Testament church, the new covenant church established by Christ and the Twelve Apostles. So he was keen into reading into how the old reveals the new in that way as well. And this was very important for these other abbots who were also very involved in learning and writing and and teaching. As we've talked about it before, John, you know, when it comes to handing on the faith, typology was widely important because it was a lens to which we had better understand where we come from. You know, John, we talked about this a great deal in our opening weeks. You know, typology is that word in the Greek typus, which means pattern, right? It speaks to the ways in which we can go into sacred scripture and see that intelligible coordination of how God has worked in salvation history. So for Bede and others like Origen and Augustine and anyone who studies typology, it is a way to connect the dots and to not only connect the dots, but see that God had a plan from Adam all the way to Christ and even today that we have a role in salvation history. So this was important for B to take up uh, because he wanted his people to understand their role, that uh, you have a spiritual family tree. Again, to know where you come from is to better understand who you are and where you are going. And this, of course, is the great value of typology because it is that principle, that hermeneutic, that really does allow us to see who we are and where we come from. Yes, but if if you go a few centuries past B to St. St. Anselm's, Famous quote, faith-seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. This I want to go back to Bede. It's important that we put faith 
seeking understanding. The faith precedes this. Now, you mentioned logic. You cannot come to truth by logic. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, think of our philosophers. Think of all of our PhD philosophers. Do they, any one of them agree with each other? They've had a whole bunch of logic, and they all have different systems. Yep, yep. Yeah, you've got to have, from the faith, you get to your understanding. Mm-hmm. And Bede understood this, and, you know, yeah, we have faith, and we want to make sure we have the logic that supports that faith. And that's where he was so huge, mm-hmm. and our fathers of the church were so huge, but faith-seeking understanding. That's right, John. Our faith-seeking understanding always leads to, uh, but what? Faith and reason. Right? Faith and reason, of, of course, are the two great ways of knowing, the two great principles in the Catholic intellectual tradition uh, towards knowing. Right? I cannot help but think of the encounter between Philip and Nathaniel, uh, where Philip goes to Nathaniel after having a personal encounter with Jesus and says, Nathaniel, I, I found him, right? I have found that the fulfillment, the law of Moses, uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel respond with? What good comes from Nazareth? Huh? And, and what does Philip respond with? See and come? No, come and see. Because the encounter always precedes the reason, right? And of course, that encounter is what we talk about when we talk about faith coming first, because it is in this gift of faith that we have first received from God, this unmerited gift of faith, that we encounter Jesus Christ in our life. Yes. Right? We've talked about it before, um, John, in the context of the analogy of the cookie, right? If you put two cookies before two different people and you, and you ask person A to describe a chocolate chip cookie, they're going to describe to you in great detail what the chocolate chip cookie looks like on the outside. They'll talk about its shape, its color, and everything that they can discern based upon what they see. And then you go to person B, and they have uh, uh, the same cookie, and you ask person B to bite the cookie and then describe uh, the cookie. Their more personal encounter with the essence of the cookie is going to lead them to describe to you something totally and entirely different, which I'm sure would lead with the sweetness of the cookie, okay? The same cookie, but two different kinds of descriptions, okay? What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about what is objective versus what is subjective, and what is objective is what is external, revealed, known. What is subjective, it is internal, unseen, unknown, until you've had a personal encounter with it. Then you can describe it in great detail, in great wonder. Well, well, as we've already talked about, John, Jesus Christ entered into our concept of time to reveal to us the meaning of the personal encounter. And so, yeah, it is right that Philip says to Nathaniel, not see and come, but come and see. Because he knows that by having a personal encounter with this Jesus of Nazareth, it is much more moving, if you will, than what he can just describe uh, from the outside. So very important, and I'm glad you brought that point up, because it was very important to St. Bede the Venerable. If anyone (laughs) was after a deeper understanding, a more coherent knowledge of the faith, it was uh, St. Bede the Venerable. So he would take up you know, fides et ratio, so as to better just not understand, but very important to Bede was how to also then hand on the faith. Yeah. You know, one of, one of his great lines was, you know, we need to spend extra time examining the marvel of the Word of God 
so as to make the Word of God intelligible to the people of God. A man for the new evangelization, John. Make what is so incomprehensible, comprehensible. Um, I think we talked about this with St. Augustine. It was one of his great conversions as an academic and as a scholar. Uh, All of this rich, dense philosophy and theology to make that palpable for the people so they can understand the wonder and the beauty of God in simple terms. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the church was passed on in those days. It was all verbal. And as you mentioned before, I think your average layman learned a lot about the church from the liturgy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was all important. But, I mean, to have this scholarship go on and to have it passed down uh, through the monasteries in a a country which was semi-barbaric, we'll use that term, you know, uh, is very, very good. But it was Catholic, they were Christian, but they were quite good. And let me just blab on a little bit. When you get to Chaucer, that to me, Canterbury Tales, mm-hmm. the, that is the, the, the journey from London to Canterbury, yeah, the yeah. journey from the city of man to the city of God, yeah. it is deep, it is beautiful, and I mean, it is as good as Shakespeare, in my mm-hmm. opinion. This mm-hmm. guy, and this is English Catholicism, yeah. uh, you know, maybe 400, 500 years removed from Bede, it, it was as good then as it is today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, when you look at a work like the Canterbury Tales, you ask the question, what does it have to do with Bede? Well, what is within that work but that very human struggle in grace. It, in many ways, you know, maybe brings us a little bit back to St. Augustine, where he talked about life as a struggle in grace. But this was also very close to the heart of one Saint Bede the Venerable, where he would uh, often talk about the very real uh, struggle that is uh, the Christian journey, the Christian vocation to, to give glory to God. Yeah. We have to appreciate that, you know, you just don't wake up one morning and all is fine and well. I mean, this is a struggle. There's suffering that's tied to joy. Yeah. This is a great, the, the great biblical vision to suffering. You know, Peter says, rejoice in your suffering. Paul yeah. talks about it a great deal. So very important, important to be, but also to our Christian and Catholic faith. You know, John, you talked there about the importance of, of history, and maybe his greatest work by some is his uh, just not the history of the English uh, people, but the work you already made note of, John, uh, the Chronica Maiora, where he really gets into his chronicling of the Church Fathers and yep. the councils. Yes, uh, He went out of his way to show systematically, and that by that I mean structurally, okay, how the Holy Spirit was working in and through uh. all of the Church Fathers that we have, we have already talked about. In fact, we are indebted to Bede, because as Benedict XVI himself went through this um, series of Wednesday audiences on the Church Fathers and the men that we're talking about now, he went to Bede uh, as one of his resources. So what Bede did was he went out of his way again to show how the Holy Spirit was working through all these Church Fathers. He chronicled this, he went through, I think, six major councils highlighting the four Christological councils, the Council of Nicaea, Council of Ephesus, Council of Constantinople, and of course, the Great Council of um, Chalcedon that we talked about. Um, so what he did there was show us the catena, right, in the Latin, the chain, the continuity, the continuity of how the Holy Spirit was working in and through the church, that we are a church that is not bound by just sacred scripture, but also sacred tradition, because sacred scripture itself says in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, to stay steadfast to the oral traditions which has been handed on to you, huh? 
the oral traditions. Stay steadfast, Paul says, to the oral traditions which have been handed on to you. He also writes the same thing to the church of Corinth. And this is very important, John, because ultimately uh, this is what lies at the heart of that great historical work, and it helped the people of his time to better understand the Catholicity, and a word he liked to use, apostolicity, okay, the apostolic nature of the church, that with the 12 apostles, you had the 12 foundation stones, if you will, that the church rests upon. One could never overlook that either, because that was just too important to be. You can well imagine, you know, we're talking about so many different things here, John, how important this man was, just not because he was an English scholar who was so well-versed in the sciences and arts, know that he was first an abbot, a holy man, a holy man, which is a mark of every saint, of course, that we've talked about, a holy man that understood, that understood well what was needed for the people of his time, and every saint, every holy man always has an eye towards the future, John, that what they do has, by their very nature, this prophetic thrust, if you will. And so what he leaves us today are words that are just invaluable. And hate to be chauvinistic, but let's remember he was an Englishman. Mm -hmm. He wrote in our language, and it Mm -hmm. came down to us. Mm -hmm. You know, and I really do think to some extent this is why uh, we here in the States, and of course England, but we here in the States also um, have somewhat of a devotion to him. Mm-hmm. Um, just by way of postscript, and I, I hate to postscript this <laughs> because it was so important to him, to him but he had uh, also a great devotion to Mary. Uh, he is yeah, yeah, yeah. known as one of the great Mariologists uh, of the Church. He focused in on a great number of things, and, and we just don't have the time to get into him now, but it always started for St. Bede with Mary's yes, that she is the model disciple because she said yes. And in that yes, she encompassed, well, what you just spoke to, John, the faith-seeking understanding. She was not one like Zechariah, where (laughs) he was doubting, right? There was a questioning going on, but in the contemporary sense. What do you get me into, Angel? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There was questioning going on with Mary in the truest sense, right? Seeking to quest, to seek to understand. This is what Mary embodied in that great exchange that we find between the angel Gabriel and Mary. And so he would have us look closely at what that yes was all about. And uh, for us, that would be the starting point. Um, And certainly out from that, her becoming the mother of God was very important. He would also have us look at the words, do whatever he tells you. Yes. Because in those words, which, oh, by the way, are the last words we have from Mary in Scripture, do whatever he tells you, is her principal role. She says, anywhere and everywhere, do whatever he tells you. So, uh, again, go to St. Bede the Venerable, read up on him, and if you have any questions about anything that we have talked about this evening, or anything about the Catholic faith, please do not hesitate to email me at jhol ljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit contact link button there, and and you'll be well on your way. And I I always enjoy a good dialogue. (laughs) I always enjoy a good conversation. So please uh, don't hesitate to shoot me an email. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. And as we do so, John, uh, mindful that uh, we are praying the glory be in the spirit of St. Bede the Venerable, because it was his favorite prayer. And in fact, it was the prayer 
that he was found praying on his deathbed, the very simple glory be. And so it is. We do close of the glory be. Uh, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.